and welcome to How I Survived This, the totally badass and dramatic podcast where we dive into the good, the not so good, and the totally badass journeys of women in the arts. I'm your host, Heather Corrigan. We're here today to learn about each of my guests' unique journeys from their wins to their darkest hours and all of the dramatic moments in between. So grab a drink or snacks or whatever and get comfy because today we have as my guest Paula Parker. She is an award-winning director of audiobooks, a narrator, singer, actor, teacher, mother, and casting director. And on a personal note, a huge influence and mentor in my life and career. And we are so excited to talk with her today. Paula, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for that wonderful introduction, Heather. (laughs) And I'm so happy to see you, Heather, and to be in the studio. And I'm just, you know, so energized to be in the studio again after this long COVID uh, three years, whatever it is, when we weren't. And, you know, it was good that we were all able to be remote, but I'm just real happy to be here. I second that opinion wholeheartedly. I know that as voiceover artists, we were lucky to be able to work remotely, but uh, it is so nice to be in the booth with you again working and to see you in person. It's been a few years <laughs> since before since before COVID yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. But I actually do think that we have to set the record that I believe my first job was with you directing. You mean uh, audiobook narration? Either audiobook or English as a second language. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah, perhaps. I really couldn't say, but I said to myself, that young woman is very talented. Oh. And so before you know it, you were in for audiobooks or, or, and or ESL, something like that. Yeah, well, I had good guidance from the very, very beginning, so thank you. Um, I want to jump in and ask you how and why did you decide to get into acting So, you know, take us to that moment. Yeah. Well, you know, my mother was a wonderful singer. And um, she sang to me from the time I was a little baby. And I remember singing duets with her. I started singing when I was four years old. And parents' friends would come over and they would ask me to sing these songs. and They would give me quarters. And I would remember thinking, oh, my gosh, this is so great. And one of the songs in my repertoire was Stranger in Paradise. How does a four-year-old know Stranger in Paradise from Kiss Me, Kate? I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, um, so then my first play was in school. I was 13. It was Annie Get Your Gun. And I'm from Illinois, and I'm from northern Illinois. And Illinois has um, really great programs in high schools, speech, uh, theater, debate, um, competition all over the place. So I was bitten by that bug, you know, can't get a man with a gun, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I went into high school, and there was a great theater director. I learned perhaps more about theater from him than probably anybody else. But um, we did several shows a year. And you had to work your way up. And every year we did a bus and truck show. All in over, high school? Yes, in high school, all over the state of Illinois. Oh, wow. And we would present our competition play because uh, there was competition in theater, in speech, with many different categories, in debate. And so I worked my way up to the lead in those road shows and in the musicals. So I learned a lot uh, in theater and I was bitten by the bug, but I think with my mother and everything, 
I might have come out of the womb like that. I don't know. And, uh, and, <laughs> I think we all did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then in college, of course, you know, okay, I was small and red-haired. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really the leading lady type, but I had a modicum of talent. And so I would wait for the right time. I probably auditioned pretty well, but I went to Southern Illinois University, which was a great theater school. And when I was 22, there was a very famous director that came to my school, uh, to Southern Illinois University, who had worked with Bertolt Brecht, et cetera. And she did a show on the Paris Commune, and I was the lead in that, and it was picked up by the public theater. And I was 22 years old doing a show at the public theater, along with Al Pacino. He wasn't in the show. But he, it was his first show, or the the show that he got noticed. It was called The Basic Training of Pavlo Hummel. And at the public. At the public. And there I was in at one of 22. the theaters at 22. Wow. Yeah. And so that summer, and there was a guest artist, a fellow, with a handlebar mustache. And from far away, I thought that he was a town boy painting the scenes <laughs> with a very big mustache. Everybody wanted to be his friend. He was quite funny. And um, when he walked by me, I said, oh, you're a lot older than I thought you were. And he said to his friend, who is that? And before you know it, this guy, he was, he was following me. I would be at the drinking you know, water fountain. There he was. I'd be in the hall somewhere. There he was. And then one day, he said to me, you're a nice Midwestern girl. Do you like steak? I said, sure. <laughs> he said, why, you want to come over and have some barbecued steak? I said, yeah. <laughs> that was the beginning of my relationship with Paul Rubin all those many years ago. And it's never <laughs> stopped since. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm going to give my age a, a really away right now. This past June, I know him for 50 years. Wow. Yeah, long time. I want to go back for a minute. You mentioned in high school. Yes. When you were going around uh, doing the theater production, there was a musical, mm-hmm. and they were in competition with other schools as well? Well, no. no. Just the, the, the musical was on its own. It was the big deal um, production, and I played Nancy and Oliver one year. Oh, that's and great. What, what are, I'm, I forget. Oh, I was in The Music Man. Pick a but, little, talk a little. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. exactly right. Yep. Tweet. Talk a little bit more, something like yes. that. <laughs> and um, but the uh, contest play was a, a a play on its own. Okay, and is that the one that was bus and truck? Yes. So was bus for our listeners, could yeah. you help me explain what bus and truck is? Yes, succinctly. Bus and truck is that you take a show, any show. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of times it's musicals, and um, sometimes it's union. In high school, we didn't have to worry about that. But um, for professionals, sometimes it's union, sometimes it's not. And the performers will be on the bus, and all of the scenery, et cetera, will be on the truck. And that's how you get to all of the stops. So you met Paul in Illinois. Yes, in Illinois. So you ended up in New York after yes, a few years. Yes, because he was born in New York in Queens. He wanted to go back, and I wanted to go to New York as an actor. Of course, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of the, well... It's the Mecca. It's the Mecca, yeah. So when you get to the Big Apple... Did you do uh, auditions right sure, away? Sure. And I mean, I had talk my, about those days. Yeah, I had my equity card. I got it at Children's Theater in Chicago, so I had my equity card. So that was cool. So I had to. I I began living the life of working part time jobs and then auditioning. Okay. And getting in line at the equity building, and getting a service where you had to call all the time, 
And people had dimes and quarters in their hands because they had to call their service all the time. There was no such thing as cell phones. So just for our listeners, this is getting up and going to the equity building and standing in line early to get the opportunity, the yes or the no, depending on who they're going to see. Now, you had your equity card, so you were guaranteed a space to audition. But you still had to get up and get in line and sign in and wait. So... You're calling your service, you're seeing what else is going on, and then you go to your survival job or your your part-time job. Right. What Can you talk about what you did? Yeah, I always worked from 9 to 1. I worked for Miles Davis. Huh? And, uh, yeah, I worked wow. for, for, his, for his agent. And um, I always learned how to say on the phone, who may I say is calling? Mm. And uh, one day I said that to him, and he said, just fucking put Neil on the phone. <laughs> and I was told under no uncertain terms that I was never to ask who's calling. So just by Davis your ear, him. you needed to know who was calling. Well, that's what you do when you're, yeah. you know, sitting at a desk like that. Yeah. You know, you know. Uh, but I knew Miles Davis's voice <laughs> after that, that's no for kidding. sure. <laughs> you absolutely did. <laughs> So you worked from nine to one, yeah, and then you would go to audition, to audition, yeah, yeah, oh. and send my pictures in to to get in showcases. A lot of times in auditions, they just looked at you, and you wouldn't get a call back. They took your resume. Thank you, nice to meet you. Right on to the next. You yes, know. but you had to do showcases, and you had to try to get agents to those showcases so they would sign you. Because if you weren't signed with agents. You wouldn't get regular auditions. Right. And you had to call your service all the time because if you were to miss one of those calls, you weren't going to soon get called back by that agent um, because they needed to fill those spaces. And, and did you think that every audition you were like, this, this is it? This is the one? No. I hoped. Yes, of course. I hoped to get a call back. Were there certain things that you did for yourself, uh, you know, that— helped with the rejection. How did you handle? How did I handle that? How did you handle that? How did I handle it? Well, probably not well. Yeah. You know, it gets to be, um, you know, you'd get a call back. And what happens with agents, and I get a couple commercials and stuff, but what happens with agents, if you don't continue to get call back, call back, call back, call back, then then they move on, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and then uh, I did this really great showcase uh, about suffragettes. It was a musical. It was really, really good. And, you know, it's, I don't think it's, if you have what it takes in terms of, as I said before, a modicum of ability. Yes. You have to know how how not... To never take no for an answer. Yep. And you have to know how to build that business. And if you don't know how to do that, or you don't have the energy to keep at it, then if you're in New York, it may not happen the way you want it to. Right. It's a stick to <laughs> And And, you know, send out those postcards, keep on going to auditions, keep on keeping on, you know, because it's what you want. So, mm. so you know, you have to, to deal with that. And then... I started to get some voiceover stuff, and I did a lot of children's VOs because I was the voice of Shira, Princess of Power, for a while. Oh, my <laughs> word. And I might have been led to ESL from that. 
I can't remember all of that. Wait, you were the voice of Shira on the cassettes? Yeah. On the tapes? Did you have those? I had those. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You learned Shira. Yeah. Shira (laughs) has a power. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I just had like a flashback moment to my child. I'm sure. Hey, listen, I've been around. And so, you know, um, between living your life and continuing to do that and, you know, having some artistic reward from that, and uh, doing ESL uh, on a regular basis. And um, can we talk yeah. about, um, for our listeners, can mm. we explain what ESL yeah. is? Yes, it's English as a second language. And um, you go in a booth and you have a program and you play a role and you record this for people that are learning uh, English. And it takes a particular technique. Natural, but slow. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, correct. (laughs) Correct. When you were first starting out in your 20s in New York City, it sounds like it was just full of aspiring artists who were able to cross into theater and TV and then do a commercial and then do a voiceover. It just sounds like it was just sort of this... A uh, flow of creativity. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. But then you had to find out where you fit. Mm. So uh, what was it like then being a woman in that time mm. in the industry? Well, you know, you talked mm. about the uh, them talking about your red hair mm-hmm. and saying, mm, right. maybe, maybe not, you know, we... we how about dyeing it? Right, you know, that's something right. that has been said to many a person, too. Cut I'm your sure, hair, make your I'm hair grow sure. longer, do do something else. You know, I was also only five feet tall. And um, so I'll never forget one day I walked into an agent's office, and she looked at me, and she said, oh, I thought you'd be taller. <laughs> I'm just like, lady? No, I didn't say that. But that's what I thought. I am. I am who I am. So, yeah, like that. And, you know, okay. So I was small. I really wasn't the leading lady type. Mm. But then what was I? Right. Girl next door, da, 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 da. You know, everybody wanted to pigeonhole you, and I'm sure it's the same way. I'm sure there is a yeah. bit of that still, yeah. yeah. Um, but but definitely back then, oh, right? Absolutely. Pigeonholed for sure. You had to know what your type was on a dime. Mm. Absolutely. And not only for commercial, but also for theatrical. Yes. Right. Yes. And that takes some of the fun out of it, right? Because when you've been singing since four <laughs> and then doing you know, you've found this passion that you love and you have this creativity and this talent and this drive. And then it comes down to one day somebody saying, mm, I thought you'd be taller. Mm-hmm. You, how it, it's hard to walk through that room again without having that sort of in the back of your mind. So absolutely. What are some of the things you think that helped you hear those comments and then be able to, how do you move on after yeah. after that? Okay. Well, you lose some of the fire, but who you are never dies. There you go. It never dies. Mm-mm. You can not do it for a while. Mm-hmm. It just is who you are. Yeah. Um, and, you know. It's just in your blood. 100%. Yeah. And my husband and I are a team. Mm-hmm. We really are. 
and we have a lot in common. We're <laughs> alike in many ways and unlike in other ways. That's wonderful. <laughs> but, you know, we, he was writing. He was a playwright, um, and I'll get to that. Um, and I knew that we were going to do things together. Mm-hmm. We started this improv company called Laughing Stock, and we played on 23rd Street. And I used to, when I was younger, I was very funny. But then I kind of, like, grew up, and I don't know if I was an improviser. I really don't know. <laughs> um, so I didn't have a, a I'm huge... I'm sure there are many listeners that are thinking the same thing, because we've all been told to take improv yes, at one point yes, or another, yes. especially now. Any sort of class or casting director or agent will say, have you taken an improv class? Is that and true? Wow. I think so. Wow. At this wow. point. And I'm sure there are some people who are like, yeah, that was the best thing I ever did for my uh, ability as an actor. And then there are other people who perhaps are like, you know what, I tried it, and I'm not an improver. <laughs> nah, it wasn't for me. I had some parts in the sketches, but but they were very good. And my husband, Paul, he's a natural-born improviser. He has a very, I believe, highly developed uh, uh, sense of humor. And then he was writing all the time. He was writing plays, mm-hmm. and we did an off-Broadway play. Um, and I played uh, one of the leads. I played, you know, I always wanted to to be dramatic and do something with a lot of gravitas and all of that. But, you know, he always saw me as as comedic, and I guess I can be pretty funny, but he's the funny one in the relationship. (laughs) Anyway, um, you didn't get picked up or anything like that, but, you know, they don't do, they don't. I mean, it's off-Broadway. So, and then that leads us to, oh, I, at the same time, or a little bit after, I taught acting at the American Academy, Dramatic Arts, and I enjoyed that. So that's it. This is in your twenties still that you were teaching at American Academy no, of Dramatic Arts. No, I was I was in early thirties. Yeah. So you're teaching, and it's sort of right before, uh, you know, the other major role in your life mm-hmm. comes into play. And what were some of the wins? Yeah, um, that convinced well, you to stay. Yeah, well, you know, like I said, I did the the show at the Equity Library Theater. I did the great musical about the suffragettes. I got a couple of really good commercials. Um, I was Shira, Princess of Power. It's the best. I, I was. I, um, you know, the working with, with Paul and then doing the off-Broadway show and then just, you know, beginning to do a lot of the voiceover work. You know, it was, it was a place where I could use my abilities, have a life, and keep the, um, I don't know, the, the stress or, or, or shall I say, uh, you know, Try to um, be home at five o'clock to have dinner. Things like that, you know. Yeah. I needed to to take that that element balance. Out of, uh-huh. Balance. The, that's the right. The balance of of your life, and, and we yeah. can get carried away sometimes. I think too, especially maybe not so much now, but especially pre COVID days, mm. pre pandemic. It was that idea of sort of work yourself to the bone. So it was nice to find that voiceover world, yeah, so that you can. Be home with the people that you love. All right. Right. Exactly. And that that's really how I felt. Um, you know, I, I would hear all the time when I was a young actor, you know, oh, well, you should go to the regions. Do regional. Do regional. You know, leave New York. Do regional. And perhaps that's true, but that's not what I chose. And I'm from Chicago. And, you know, it was always a quandary. Should I have, should I have stayed in Chicago? Should I have come to New York, et cetera? Um, and I didn't make that choice. But... You know, I, I'm not sorry uh, about the choice I made. We, I tried to leave New York a couple of times, and 
it's not a possibility. It's no. very difficult. It is very difficult. Once you're here, it is very yes. difficult to leave. And Because every day is different in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives you a lot of variety. And you can really be whoever you want to be here. That is, that is what my friends tell me who would come to visit me. <laughs> They'd say, wow, you can do, you can be whatever you want to be here. I go, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. So you're in New York City and you're starting to do uh, your voiceover work. Um, and Shira, which I will forever, who I will forever <laughs> love. Um, and then you seem to make a jump into audiobooks as well. Was that right around that time? Well, was... um, I'll tell you how that happened. We were in California for a year. Mm-hmm. And Paul had came out there with a game show that was optioned by Disney, ABC, God knows who. And it wound up not happening. And then uh, he had directed some audiobooks, and friends of ours wanted to start a company. And so Paul and our friends went in together and uh, started an audiobook company. And um, he got some great titles, but he was, he was on his own. And so he sold all the backlist titles to Random House, and he started directing for, for them. Um, and at the same time, I was still doing ESL. Mm-hmm. He was doing audiobooks, and we were doing ESL. Little bit by little bit by little bit. And I was also the voice of Wegmans for years. Oh, amazing. (laughs) The in-store voice. I wasn't, I tried to get the TV contract, but they said we had women for, a woman for 25 years. (laughs) And on that, that uh, Wegmans job, I'll never forget one time my son said to me, he heard me talking. He said, let's tell the cashier that you, mom. I said, don't you dare. She won't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) And is that what led you to directing audiobooks as well? Yes, I was a narrator. Yes, first at first. Yeah, and I enjoyed that. And then, um, and then I worked really steadily with with my husband building the business. Mm-hmm. And I directed uh, audiobooks there and ESL programs and doing that for a long time. And then um, uh, Paul retired from the ESL foreign language business, and then I went to work for John Sherry, who became the owner of those businesses from uh, Paul and I, and uh, I worked for him for a long time, and then decided it was time to go on my own, and that's when I started uh, directing, directing in earnest, full, full, full time. Yeah. When you were building the business yeah. with Paul, did you, were you still auditioning? Uh, no, no, I was not. And how did you enjoy building a business? Well, you know, um, did I it always, surprise you? When I, I feel when I have something good, then it's not difficult for me to sell. Exactly. And I would go to conferences, and I would meet people, and I would sell Paul Rubin Productions that way. And then when I worked with John Sherry, um, and I would do the same thing go to conferences and and, and, um, get clients for the business, and it wasn't difficult. So you found it really easy because you believed not only in the product and in the business, um, but you found it really easy to talk about it and to, quote-unquote, sell it at conventions, et cetera, to believe in it and to build it. That's right. It's it's so interesting that as young actors, we are not taught to look at ourselves as a business. Correct. To um, 
that we're not taught to be able to how to be able to sell us <laughs> well how do no, I put no, this? That, that's absolutely right well, because at that time of life it's very difficult to think I belong to me mm-hmm. I don't belong to anybody else mm-hmm. I belong to me and that takes a certain maturity yeah I would agree with you that know. it's um, hard to differentiate between mm-hmm. the vulnerability of what you're wanting to and expected to give as an actor in order to become the character. And then also to then make that separation between that and then how do I market, not only market that, but how do I, this is actually a business, and then how do I sell it without actually feeling like you are um, being uh, cheapened or giving yourself away. And it it's keeping the power, keeping the autonomy of who you are yeah. and being able to learn right. how to say it's just it's just such a shame that we're not necessarily um, able to do both of those things at a at a younger age. Can you dispense any mm-hmm. information to some of our listeners about um, any advice or any wisdom in regard to that? How to be an actor and a business person uh-huh. at the same yeah, time. Yeah, Well, you know, um, it's nice. They, they ask actors to be able to do everything, sing, dance, tap, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But you have, to, um, you have to be able to sell yourself as one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't have sold this business, Paul Rubin Productions and then, and then John Marshall Media, as, um, oh, yeah, we can we can do we can do everything you know you have to focus on exactly what it is you can do you know and what it is you offer and what you um offer complete services in and so once you th- these people become your client then you can if if they need it you can go off on an arm this way or an arm that way right. but you have to make it easy for the people who are making uh, who are the d- d- decision makers right and it's hard to sell that business when you don't really know what you're selling or what that business entails. Right. Right. And that's sort of the, the business of you. The business of you. And that's mm-hmm. difficult to do yeah. as, a, as a young artist starting out. Well, you know, you know, uh, Mrs. Maisel. Yes. I, I haven't watched it. I should. I know. But I, I remember reading when she walked in the room, she was the only person that they had seen, the only female, that was not just a bundle of nerves. Mm. And that was overriding the audition. She knew she she had a job to do. She knew what she was there for, and she did it. Mm-hmm. Now, if she, you know, typewise went right, et cetera, et cetera, but um, she belonged to her. Mm. She didn't belong to the people in the room. It takes a long time from, for some people to understand that or to to live that. But when you do, your life does belong to you. Mm-hmm. And it really... Um, Things start to blossom because people know that you're not looking for oh. something from them. Yes. You are offering something really good about yourself. Ooh. So now the key question is, how do you find that self as an actor? And I think it's just a question that we're eternally looking for. Yeah, but, yeah. Right. You yeah. go in offering instead of asking. Exactly. So where are you now? What are you doing now? Okay. I'm directing audiobooks, which I really enjoy because, and this is what has helped me really concretize that I belong to me, is is giving, giving back. 
Whether you give to an actor or something around your community, it's giving back. And um, when I work with an actor, the day or days are for them. I want it to be for them. I want them to have a lovely experience so that I will help them in their artistry or help them as artists. That's, that's my goal. Mm. The book will be the book, and, you know, and the books are good, and da 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 But if, if I hold true to, that, to those feelings, the books will be good. Because if, if it helps your growth as an artist, then I've done my job. And that's what I do. Yeah. I have to mention to everybody that you are one of the best directors in the industry, mm. just hands down. Thank you. So because of the pandemic, people's uh, listening habits have completely changed. We had the shutdown. We had a shutdown of TV production, film production. So everybody went back to listening to things. And we've had a resurgence of um, people listening to audiobooks and radio dramas and scripted dramas, um, podcasts, hopefully this one too. Um, <laughs> do you see yourself branching out into any of these forays in the... Yeah, I've thought about that recently. I would love to do radio drama. Are there any particular plays that you would be interested in? Without giving it away, are no. there any particular plays or stories that you think um, that you would like to be a part of the cast if they were to do a radio drama of them? Yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of old school. I go back to, like, Clifford Odets and... Oh, and, uh, well, uh, yeah. Who doesn't love Clifford yeah. Odets? And, and, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Um Tennessee Williams. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I like Strindberg and mm. and people like that. I know that they're 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 doing some kind of radio Hamlet. I mean Macbeth. Excuse me. Uh, at, at at NYU Skirball, and oh, they're cool. uh, they're all going to sit at around a table and read it. I have to read a little bit more about it, but it's going to be live. But it's going to be like that. Mm. And, and what kind of stories would you like to tell or? See? or see be told in the audio space moving forward? Hmm. You know, I must admit, I haven't thought about that, Heather, but I think, you know, what you guys are doing here, telling stories about people's journey in, uh, uh, you know, in what they're doing, um, what, you know, they, the job that they are good at mm-hmm. um, and how they got there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very interesting. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I think all too often with the advent of uh, social media and just the way that the entertainment industry is and has always been, Mm -hmm. uh, we hear about the top 2% of anybody who's uh, in TV, film, theater, or, you know, um, musicians as well. And then we, we don't see everybody else. And I want right. to know about everybody else because there's right. value in everybody's journey and in everybody's story. Yeah. And just because they're, you know, you don't graduate from drama school and immediately become Meryl Streep, you know, not, not usually, <clears throat> not many. And it it doesn't it doesn't mean that your uh, journey or your talent is any less than um, exactly. Well, we are extremely lucky to have gotten the chance to sit across from each other today and talk. Thank you, Heather. It was great. It was a pleasure. I really appreciate it and enjoyed speaking with you. 
This podcast was created and produced by Heather Corrigan and Robin Lai. We would like to thank our guest, Paula Parker, for joining us today. This episode was directed by Robin Lai and recorded by Michael Bader. Content editing by Neve McAuliffe. Post-production by JMM Latam and mastered by Clint Rhodes. Special thanks to Boom Integrated and Adrian Glover. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and share it with all of your friends. Tune in next week as we bring you more women's stories that are totally badass and dramatic. <laughs>